<laughs> yeah, my, my, I mean, maybe he was a pacifist. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but my, so my disillusion with re- wrestling, like, tracks pretty much with the slow decline of Hogan's career. And then, like, Hogan, again, starting out as, like, this platonic, like, if you work out and eat your vitamins and say your prayers, kind of 80s star, and then turning into a heel and then later like a guy who took down a media company yeah. as a front for a conservative tech billionaire <laughs> i mean i kind of like just all it all tracks to me with hogan declining as a star like that's when i was basically out and got and went searching for other heroes or other you know compelling wrestling stars in in the nwa and, like, I was into that for a time, but it was never sort of the same as that, like, simple, awesome, iconic era um, that yeah. Hogan kind of typified. Right. That, like, childhood wonder and innocence. Which, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it, it is. It's funny because it does. I think it happens naturally with age. But right, like, right around the time that I was, like, getting old enough to be like, oh, I think, like, maybe basketball is cooler. Or, like, maybe if I want to have, like friends at school like i can't just talk about nothing but wrestling um (laughs) to them um but right around that same time it was like the steroid trial um which i remember like and like suddenly right like like i'm i'm starting to understand more about like just how scripted you know wrestling is most of us think of professional wrestling as harmless entertainment and hulk hogan as the king of the ring but was there a sinister side to his success some people now claim that his hard-muscled good guy image really came from his past use of dangerous drugs. Tony Cox has the story. The steroid trial happens, and then Hogan leaves the WWF altogether. The undisputed king of the ring is Hulk Hogan. Hero to thousands of Hulkamaniacs, as his young fans are called, the Hulkster preaches clean living, prayer, and vitamins as the keys to success. I'm the last great American hero since John Wayne died. Forget the baseball players. Forget the football players. Hulkamania is what tears Madison Square Garden in every major arena down around the country. And it just got very, like, messy all of a sudden. Dave Schultz is a former professional wrestler with the World Wrestling Federation. So is superstar Billy Graham. They both watched the Arsenio Hall show last July when their old wrestling friend Hulk Hogan appeared and made this statement. But I've I've trained 20 years, two hours a day to look like I do. But the things that I am not is I'm not a steroid abuser and I do not use steroids. But Hulk Hogan's former teammates have a very different story to tell about his past abuse of steroids. I myself personally have injected Hulk Hogan with anabolic steroids. I brought him into my home. I let him sleep in the house. I gave him food. And in return, he gave me steroids. He showed me how to use steroids. Oh, this isn't fun anymore for me to like, it, it suddenly felt like a different product, um, like very, very quickly into like, like 93, 94. And I was just out. I was out completely. And I just channeled all of that energy into the New York Knicks, which I believe uh, yeah. is uh, another passion that, that we share, Ryan. Like kids grow up and change and you just find like new outlets for your energy and interest. Like, first of all, like you, Ryan, I was never a Hogan guy and I am so proud of that. I stand by that. Uh, he always felt kind of charlatany, like just never, there was always something I just wasn't totally buying about him, but also other wrestlers were just more interesting to me. Like 
I, as Ben knows, I was always um, really bizarrely uh, an earthquake guy and a big boss. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I just... uh, (laughs) Chris liked the big boys. Hogan, you're looking at the man in the WWF who has the most experience in stretcher matches. All of my matches are stretcher matches. All of my opponents go out on a stretcher. You yourself have not been excluded. You have experience because you felt the stretcher. Now, you're going out on the stretcher once and for all, and that's a promise from the quake. You are going to feel all of the earthquakes that I've been keeping inside. You and Hulkamania are finished in this match. You and Hulkamania are going out on a stretcher. I just had a thing for, like, authority figures, um, very strangely. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, like, similarly, I, you know, I, I, I found myself being more interested in basketball and then, you know, 94 Knicks and... I, th- I think this is at the, really the point in my life where I started doing performing in like community theater. So it was like the same, you know, it all makes sense, right? Like I had this like active part of my imagination that wrestling sort of like spurred. And then I was like, okay, I'm done. You know, like wrestling served its purpose. Now I'll take it to the next thing. But it is interesting to hear, you know, Ben called it our exit strategy, how people like came into wrestling and then like left wrestling. Did you guys ever write a a penny book when you were a kid? Is that like a thing or was that just like something? Um, When I was like in third, fourth grade, maybe um, uh, for school, I had to write like a book about my life, like my, my autobiography and we called it a penny book. Um, And I found it recently and there's literally a page um, that I want to read from. Uh, uh, this is, uh, it was September 3rd, the first day of second grade. So I'm like talking about my like first day of second grade. And then I talk about my friend, uh, Chris Noble, shout out trash bag ghost, uh, who was my best friend, uh, in second grade. Um, who as uh, all of our listeners know are familiar with. Um, but I actually wrote this, uh, and like typed it on a computer and like bound it in like a little book. So a quote from this book is, um, After school, when we were sitting in our room waiting for our bus to be called, we would talk about professional wrestling, which I had started watching. I feel ashamed to admit this because I realized today that watching pro wrestling is the most pointless waste of time in the world. (laughs) I wrote that as like a, I don't know, 12 year old. Like I had that like level of of like shame, like so quickly. What grade were you in when you wrote that? I was probably in like fourth or fifth grade when I wrote that. Um, so I'm you looking back like three. self-awareness. Yeah. I know. I, I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, I really had a quick, t- I had a very, very rapid fall from grace. Um, and it was just like, <laughs> like it, it, and there wasn't even like, like a, like a fascinate, like a passing fascination or like a, like a nostalgic thing. It was like too soon, you know? So I couldn't like look back on it. Like finally, like, oh my child. Cause I was like, you know, 13 right. or 14. And I'm like, literally like trying to like bury that in in like my like past deep shame deep yeah shame. yeah yeah it was really weird um but uh <laughs> wow. yeah so and then it wasn't until like much much later like in my 20s when i could like look back and be like oh like and like watch old you know royal rumbles and stuff and like i mean but i had the whole like attitude era i like totally skipped like i was in high school at that point and, like a lot and like some of my friends were like really into it but i was like nope i am not watching that um yeah, it was just uh, you know cold turkey for me. I think the reason why I left the WWF was wasn't just the Hogan thing, but also like 
it was a little bit, and maybe this is a narrative fallacy where I'm, or a hindsight fallacy where I'm just like looking back and making up a story about it. But the, the superstation just had weirder plots and like, mm. it was a little bit more morally complex. Like there was a guy sting. You guys oh yeah. Sting. Of course. Yep. Later, we'll go up one more time. 450 pounds up there. And oh, he slammed him. He slammed him. And he, he got him. him. He got Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the match, and now the king of people, Steve! He was like the only real good guy, and everyone else was like kind of a dirtbag like Ric Flair. <laughs> <laughs> And and they had, you know, a, a better version of Demolition, like the Legion oh, yeah. of later later came over to WWF. The Road Warriors they bl- before they, that. Yeah. They bled more often. They had Dusty Rhodes, who was like this weird kind of like, like almost a converse of, of Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a stranger. And, yeah. But that didn't last yeah. that long either. I had a very like, okay, maybe this is a shameful thing for me to do if I'm like in seventh grade and starting to get interested in um being like an adult right yeah um, or like girls to, like, <laughs> yep exactly yeah <laughs> yeah i have a feeling if i if i went back i hated wcw as a kid it was like to me it was just like oh no like that is like even when i was at the height of my wwf fandom the the positive feelings i felt for wwf were completely parallel to like the negativity i felt toward wcw i can't really explain why it was just like nope if it's not the pure thing it is absolute garbage um but i feel like if i went back and watched it now as an adult i'd have like a much much deeper greater appreciation yeah. for it it's because it was basically like indie band WWF, yeah right yeah like, yeah, yeah. It, it, that, that makes yeah. me hate myself that thought that i was like <laughs> oh no i, I, need, right. I need something Closer to the pure, you know, like... Yeah, mainstream. used to be about the I wrestling. Want. I just, like, I fell in love with Ric Flair, honestly. Like, mm. he he was such a compelling character to me. And, like, I'm now all about the, like, no-context Ric Flair promos. Heavyweight champion of the world, Nature Boy Ric Flair! <laughs> it is so hard to be humble when you're looking like Ric Flair. And to cap last night's events, as I walked out of New York City today, every woman within a hundred yards was hollering, here comes the boss. And Bruce Springsteen was nowhere to be seen. Bruce Springsteen, if you can follow my act in New York, then you will be the boss. I've watched every video. I've gone and rewatched his matches. I don't know, like... Yeah. There, there was something about his energy which was very anti WWF at the time, and like for my brief like eight months that I had left as a wrestling fan, like that got me through. Yeah, I remember it being very weird when he came to the WWF in like '92 um, as this like I remember they introduced him as like you know this champion. He was like I still I, th- I think he was like still technically like WCW champion when he entered the WWF, and it was like really confusing to me and i was like who is this guy why are they like trying to like pass him <laughs> off like i sort of like was aware of him as like not a wwf guy but then he was suddenly here and i was like who's this like fraudster like in- invading this territory like it didn't i didn't like him at all i hated him i thought he like the whole but he was an incredible heel i mean you know arguably like the greatest wrestler of all time like just his you know his his skill his talent his 
gimmick, everything about him was just so, you know, so iconic. Um, but yeah, I was not, not, not into it at the time. And that, I think that also probably like helped precipitate, you know, precipitate my, my departure from, uh, from, from the whole, whole scene. Um, but so should we talk a little bit now, like flash forward to, I don't know, maybe around the year 2007? Yeah. So we're adults at this point. We are. Let's go to maybe 2006. Sure. So in 2006... <laughs> If you insist, 2007, 2006, whatever, I'm not going to nitpick. Terry Jean Balea, a.k.a. Hulk Hogan, was secretly videotaped while having sex with a woman named Heather Clem, who was the wife of his best friend. My name is uh, Bubba the Love Sponge Clem. I'm a radio personality and uh, syndicated uh, throughout. Well, I used to be syndicated a lot. Now I'm not syndicated so much. Tampa radio personality Bubba the Love Sponge. Hulk Hogan would later tell Howard Stern, I guess, on his radio show that he slept with his friend's wife after his friend gave him his blessing and encouragement. Heather and Bubba were saying how cool this was. Right. No problem. No problem. This, and, and, you know, Bubba was saying it's cool. Honestly, Heather was relentless. I want to see your thing. I want to F you. Right. On and on and on. I mean, right. but I'd I don't... see him or when I'd be on the phone with Bubba, she'd grab the phone. Hogan was, I guess, in the middle of sort of a, a life crisis. His, mar- his marriage was on the rocks. His, his wife was in the midst of divorcing him and lead- leaving him for a younger man in California, leaving him in, you know, real... He was financially strained. He was dejected. He was depressed. He later told Howard Stern that uh, he stopped by the Clem household to say hello after a very hard day, and uh, he finally gave in to Heather Clem's advances. And I'm not trying to make an excuse other than I was beaten down like a dog. And You were went, feeling low, and you were looking for comfort, too. I wasn't even doing that. My, my wife, you know, had just made a decision that she'd gone back to California. I was at home with the racing team that we had at the time, the drifting team. Right. And it was just one of those things that after a phone call, which was this, that, and the other, and done, over with, F this, F that, F you, click. I just, you know, went by by Bubba's to say, hey, bro, I'm going to hang out. And it just was one of those moments I said, hell with it. I'm going to go for it. And and it was, you know, it was a huge, horrible decision. It's totally... You know, ne- never dreamed in a million years there would be a camera in Bubba's house. Hogan would testify in court that he said, uh, quote, I was depressed, I gave up, I gave in, I felt those people loved me, end quote. So anyways, there's this uh, incident. Hogan and his best friend's wife have sex, and it's recorded on video. It's recorded from a secret security cam um, that Bubba Clem installed in this bedroom. It's burned onto a DVD. Bubba Clem tosses, he, Bubba Clem labels the DVD Hogan, tosses it in his desk, never thinks about it again. Eventually, the tape is leaked, allegedly by an employee of, of Bubba Clem's, and in 2012, it found its way to the editors at gawker.com, where a two-minute highlight reel was edited and published online. Well, wait, one second. Wasn't it like a wasn't it like a rival DJ station or a rival station that actually stole the according to like some police report or something I read? In a lawsuit, Hulk Hogan alleges that Kelta conspired with other Cox employees to leak a secretly recorded sex video with Bubba Clem's wife, a video that ruined the wrestler's career. It was a <laughs> literally a rival like a 
there was a good DJ, like a shock jock DJ rivalry. And this DJ, other DJ, not uh, Bubba the Love Sponge, stole it from Bubba's desk. This week, Hogan's attorney asked a judge for more than three years worth of Kelta's phone records to prove he was behind the leak. It coincided with these two, uh, with Cox and Mr. Kalta being involved in a radio war with Bubba Clem. According to the lawsuit, Calta conspired with Matt Spiceboy Lloyd to leak the sex video as revenge to rival shock jock Bubba Clem, who was Hogan's best friend at the time. According to the complaint, a police investigation found that around January of 2012, Lloyd stole the sex DVDs from Bubba's Tampa office and made copies. The suit states that video began circulating amongst Cox employees. Kelta had his agent, Tony Burton, send a portion of the Hogan sex video anonymously to Gawker. I've heard different accounts of like who and how the DVD got from the desk to the internet. Yeah. And that, yeah, I'm sure that... Not that important, but just one more wrinkle. Classic uh, Florida DJ battle story of... Uh, yeah, a, a, a illicit sex tape uh, getting getting stolen. Anyway, yeah, pretty messy. I mean, the word that I just keep coming back to is messy. Like, everything about this is just a mess. Like, it's just, you know, friends turning on each other, people in just terrible, you know, emotional and financial states and just things just spiraling out of control, just like entropy taking over and things just like kind of going to seed. I'm curious where, so I feel like you guys have a unique uh, perspective on this. You guys are both in the media community. I am not. I'm curious what you remember about this incident. If it has changed, if your memory and your feelings about the memory have changed from then and now, like, what do you remember about Gawker? What do you remember about hearing that Hulk Hogan's sex tape had leaked, that it was on Gawker, have your memories of it changed then and now? For me, the the memories of the sex tape are sort of intertwined, and maybe I'm getting the chronology wrong here, or jumping ahead, with his racist comments. Yeah. Um, and, and, and those didn't surprise me. I mean, the sex tape didn't surprise me either. I'm, he just, like, I, I, you, we tend to over... Uh, over metaphorize the world, but like, here's this guy who was like the embodiment of an American hero who's now a dirtbag in Florida having sex with his <laughs> best, his friend's wife, and it's on tape, and then saying a bunch of racist stuff, um, really vile, terrible stuff. It all seems to add up, right? It seems like, yeah, that's not it's this that is, hard this, to imagine, right? This is the decline of America right here, is what I'm saying. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, it's hard not to track those two things together. Um, yeah. And, and so for me, it kind of felt like it, like it made sense. I mean, especially if you look at the interim period where Hogan's got that, that lame NWO period where he's a dirtbag and then he's in Japan for a while. Like, it's, it's all just kind of, like, heading in the same direction. This felt a little inevitable to me, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I remember it felt just... I was not following wrestling at the time. I wasn't following Hogan's career. I had, like, completely left that in the rear view. And when I, like, saw this, I wasn't, like, a, like an avid Gawker reader, so I don't even know if I remember, like, the initial post, or, like, I definitely don't think I ever watched the video, but maybe I did or whatever. I don't know. It's all kind of foggy, but... I just remember thinking, like, this is confirmation that I made the right decision back in 1994 or three to just right. put all the shit, like, behind me and just, like, I was like, yeah, like, of, of course, like, I'm I'm glad I never, I'm glad this isn't, like, 
heartbreaking to me because I haven't cared about this man in 15 plus years and I'm good. Like, I'm not gonna, you know, worry about this or like, I I didn't really follow it closely. I just like saw it in passing. and was like, okay, yeah, moving on. <laughs> yeah. And also it felt like, you know, 2006, this was like a period in time where the celebrity sex tape was a thing, right? Like mm, that was just something that happened a lot there yeah. you know like i uh i remember that paris hilton had a sex tape wasn't yep. like one of the kardashian women there was a sex tape. like there it just felt like this was a thing that was always happening fred durst had a it was happening incident. suspiciously often <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. right yeah right and right, some of right. it seemed maybe even planned some of it seemed you know, not, but it all was just kind of like, ah, like gross. I'm not going to concern myself with that. Like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Ryan, were you, um, were you like a regular Gawker reader, uh, back then, back in those yeah, days? Yeah, I, back then I definitely was. I think 06, 07, I was just starting to get into it. I mean, like a lot of people there were, that were unhappy in the New York media slash publishing world, this sort of spoke to our id and like our, our deepest, darkest thoughts about our industry and mm-hmm. held people accountable to, I think by like 2011, 2012, when this came out, I think people had sort of... 2012, came out in 2012. Yeah. I think people had kind of soured on Gawker, honestly, by that point. Yeah. I think they had started to turn into something a little bit nastier, a little bit meaner. You know, had the trial been in 2006 or 2008, I think maybe they would have fared better. And, and you know, I, I I don't think the decision was correct. I don't I don't agree with the lawsuit. You know, I don't support, you know, billionaires putting media outlets out of out of business. But I think at, the, at that point in Gawker's life cycle, people kind of knew what they were all about and mm-hmm. um, had a view on it. So I think in 06 and 07, it was a simpler era in the Internet at a time when we thought just blogging or obsessive celebrity culture coverage was harmless or had inflicted less harm than it actually did. Mm. Um so I, th- I think of like basically the the Pollyannish like honeymoon era of Gawker, and then the time, you know, after they had exposed needlessly exposed a Condé Nast executive's sex life, things like that. I think mm-hmm. at that point it was like the party was over for Gawker in a certain way. Yeah, I feel like people were just fatigued, and it seems like from what I've read, like people inside Gawker were fatigued too. Um, like yeah. they were sort of just kind of like they had created this monster, and they were still just having to keep feeding it and it was just kind of like eating itself from the inside and that being said i agree that they did not deserve to be destroyed by a billionaire 100 <laughs> true i mean jesus christ represented by charles harder the lawyer hogan sued gawker for copy for copyright infringement and invasion of privacy first in federal court and then later in state court folk hogan will take all reasonable steps necessary to ensure that all persons and entities who were involved in this are punished to the fullest extent of the law. Gawker refused a judge's order to remove the video. They kept the video up. The case went to trial, which lasted two weeks in 2016. Gawker argued that Hogan made his sex life a public matter, while Hogan's legal team argued that his sex life didn't have any value as news thus invalidating the publishing of the tape. And then in March, uh, on March 18th, 2016, the jury delivered a verdict in favor of Terry Bollea, 
the jury awarded him $115 million in damages, which included $60 million for emotional distress. They also awarded him an additional $25 million in punitive damages. So $140 million total. Gawker CEO Nick Denton uh, filed for an appeal but failed. Eventually in May, Hogan sued Gawker again, alleging that they were responsible for leaking a sealed court document that had him, uh, that quoted him using racial slurs, which you mentioned, Ryan. And uh, the transcripts were eventually published by the National Enquirer and led to him being fired by the WWE. Gawker denied being responsible for the leak. Hulk Hogan would be re-signed by the WWE eventually in 2018. I mean, think of the turn of events there. You've got Hulk Hogan as this huge, as we talked about, like iconic American star, getting awarded $60 million for emotional distress. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's... It's just kind of a crazy narrative turn that you couldn't write. You say part of what was so complicated is that men, women, children saw you as this this great guy, Hulk Hogan, and you found yourself facing some of your fans who said, I went to Google you, and the first thing that popped up was sex tape. Mm -hmm. How did that affect your daily life, even your interaction with your fans? It made me cower. I still am not that standing tall that the way I felt before. It's it's been like this crazy dark cloud. And the fact that, you know, Gawker makes a statement that our stories will stand the test of time, well, mission accomplished. I will be naked forever on the internet. And when I realized that children would want to see Hulk Hogan videos if their parents said, oh, you should have seen back in the day, 30 years ago when I was growing up, Hulk Hogan was the greatest. So the kids might look for a WrestleMania 3 video and right away, the way Google works, I'm not really familiar with it, or the internet works, I mean, all of a sudden it pops up Hulk Hogan's sex tape. So every time I met somebody, every time I see somebody, when I'm walking in your building here and I shake their hand, I have this crazy thought that what do they think of me? What does the father think of me? Do they think a million times less than before? It's just, it's something that never goes away. The the other thing about media and and this trial is that a lot of legal experts just don't agree with the decision. It's in state court, which is, it went to a jury, which is, you know, they very much tried to settle this thing, but Peter Thiel's team and Terry Bollea's team didn't want to settle. And and the impact of this trial has meant that media companies are are scared to death to face a jury in this environment. Obviously, Terry, people saw the number $140 million, and that became the big headline. Do you believe your battle with Gawker has gotten lost behind the talk of how much money the jury decided to award you? I don't think so. I think the public feels the same way I did. And so... I think that makes makes a huge statement. Is that a big enough number? Um, maybe not, but it should be a deterrent for anybody else who ever tries to do anything like this, not to do it, that you will be held accountable. Knowing that the Gawker case set a kind of precedence and anch- is anchored in people's minds and knowing that the outcome could be that you're... you're- Shop could go bankrupt. Yeah, it's just it's just all around just kind of a crazy narrative result. Let, let's talk a little bit about the aftermath of the verdict because we keep beating around the bush, which is this name you mentioned, Peter Thiel, the billionaire. And so, what the jury and the public didn't know about Hulk Hogan was that he had a secret benefactor underwriting his lawsuit. The billionaire investor Peter Thiel, co-founder of PayPal, a board member at Facebook, he paid. 
$10 million to help finance the lawsuits against Gawker, including the lawsuit uh, for, for Hulk Hogan. In speaking about his work bankrolling Hogan's suit, Peter Thiel told the New York Times on May 25th, 2016, it's one of the greater philanthropic things I've ever done. <laughs> You're sitting here at the National Press Club surrounded by journalists. Do you believe you've set a dangerous precedent in secretly suing Gawker in connection with its publication of the Hulk Hogan video? I don't, I don't think so. You know, you know, you, you st let's start with uh, the, you know, the facts of the case. It involved a sex tape. You know, if, if, you, if you make a sex tape of someone with their permission, you are a pornographer. If you make a sex tape without their permission, we were told now, you are a journalist. I, I would submit that as an insult to all journalists. Now, why we wonder why did why did this happen? Why did why was Peter Thiel uh, bankrolling Hulk Hogan's lawsuit about invasion of privacy? Well, it turns out in 2007, a Gawker blog named Valley Wag published an article headlined "Peter Thiel is totally gay." People that and a series of articles about his friends and others that he he said uh, ruined people's lives for no reason drove Peter Thiel to mount a Candlestein war against Gawker. Uh, he funded a team of lawyers to help find victims of the company's mounting coverage and uh, created these cases against Gawker. Ben, where do we where do we begin here? I mean, I just don't... I. Uh, I've never been in Peter Thiel's shoes. It's an understatement. I thought you were gonna say you've never been a you've never been a Peter Thiel guy. I've never been a Peter Thiel guy. I gotta I gotta come clean. I gotta come clean. I've yeah. uh, you know, um, I, I love Palantir. Don't get me wrong. Great great company. It's done a lot of good work uh, across the globe. Um, fantastic stuff that they do. A lot, um, lot of intestinal fortitude. Oh, so much yeah. intestinal fortitude um, that that. Uh, but I mean, talking about the exact uh, absence of intestinal fortitude, like I don't, you know, I, I hate this to like cast too much judgment again because I've never been outed as a gay man. Uh, I also don't have ten billion dollars um, and like seemingly nothing to do with it um, except uh, chase after my enemies. Um, so like, I don't know. I guess I can't really speak as an authority on this matter. But I'm just thinking to myself like. Why would you spend... It's not about the money. I think I read that it was, at the end of the day, less than a third of 1% of Peter Thiel's total worth uh, was spent um, destroying Gawker. But the time, the energy, the emotional investment... Like, this is a case that lasted from, what, 2012 until 2016? Is that when it was decided? Um, or the the judgment came down just so yeah. much, and of course it was like planned, you know, years years before that. Um, you know, pretty much since I guess two thousand seven when the initial you know offending article first appeared about Teal. It's just I just don't really get it. Um, I don't see like, I you know I guess when you have that much money and that much power and free time, um, you can just kind of like amuse yourself however you feel like. So I guess I can't. Um, you know, fault the guy. Uh, it's it's America. It's uh, he did it all legally. <laughs> um, I am uh, just a little bit of at, at a loss though to, to to understand like right like what like why would you why? spend all that? Just do I, something else with your time. It seems more fun. It just seemed not fun, but I guess it would be fun, fun if you were a complete fucking freak like Peter Thiel is. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like what's sadly misunderstood and misrepresented time and again about this Valleywag blog post is that. 
again, easy for me to say, but the piece, if you look at it objectively, is actually a celebration of Peter Thiel's sexuality. There is not an ounce of shaming or bullying from the author, who is gay, Owen Thomas. Frankly, it's, it, it is a post about the remarkable odds and how difficult it is and how difficult and how difficult it must be to work in an environment where you are not welcome, where you yeah. must keep secrets. Right, it was much you more know, an indictment of Silicon Valley than it was of Tia. Yeah. Owen Thomas writes, quote, venture capital is a business about risk. And in 2007, being an open VC, you know, these guys raise money from the likes of, you know, oil barons in Saudi Arabia and hedge fund billionaires on the Upper East Side, disclosing your sexuality, much less anything remotely personal or potentially controversial, is not a risk worth taking. And so Owen Thomas writes, you know, quote, the clubby ranks of VCs are mostly straight white males. They instinctively prefer entrepreneurs who remind them of themselves, end quote. And so I... I I understand that it's like very complicating and I'm sure Peter Thiel wasn't happy about his sexuality and his sexual preferences being announced on full blast, but it also was like the biggest open secret in Silicon Valley. This was like something everyone knew. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like what is never talked about in mainstream media is why, why we were talking about Peter Thiel of all people uh, and the significance of someone like Peter Thiel hiding uh, his sexuality, and like what what are the implications of that on a political level? This was a person who was very rich and powerful, obviously, and you know supported politicians and public policies that made the lives of people in his own community terrible, um, and that to me actually is sort of significant and newsworthy. Yeah, Ballywag published factual, non-defamatory, newsworthy information about one of the most important people in technology and one of the most important sectors in, in the entire world. And Peter Thiel responded to that by funding and seeking out lawsuits that would bankrupt Cocker. And Secretly, that is. You know, yeah, you, you can quibble with the particular decisions in the Bolea case about whether or not it was newsworthy that he was having sex or that his sex life was public information or in the public sphere. But that's that's what happened here um, from start to finish. Also, Gawker didn't make that tape or steal it. <laughs> exactly. And they weren't the only ones to publish it. Yeah. TMZ was running it, right? Yep, exactly. That Terry Bolea slash our, our childhood, one of our childhood idols got wrapped up in this is like... I just don't even know how to fit that into um, how I think about the world, except that this guy who was once a huge star is now like a cog in a conservative tech billionaire's um, (laughs) legal assault against um, journalism. Well, do you think what happened to Gawker could happen to other news publications? I mean, could wealthy, powerful people uh, seek revenge against a news organization? because of something they didn't like and use their influence and money to, to take them out? You know, um, they shouldn't, uh, wealthy people shouldn't do that. I, I think if they try, they won't succeed. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, the, the, you know, Gawker was, it was a pretty flimsy business. It was, it was a bad business. It didn't make that much money. But uh, they could have withstood all the lawsuits. Um, you know, they lost because the, the, of an enormous verdict 
that came in against them. One of the tragic things, one last thing that Owen Thomas wrote that I just like can't get over. He he even makes the case that Peter Thiel's sexuality is frankly like an asset. It's something that like should be celebrated. And he seemed to argue that it made him the best, you know, Silicon Valley investor ever. You know, he wrote like a gay investor has no way to fit into the old establishment. It frees him or her to build a different hopefully better system for identifying and rewarding talented individuals and unleashing their work on the world. So what he was really saying is like, look at this outlier, this guy, this, this homosexual man in a, in, a, in a world that is entirely heterosexual, that sort of rewards homogeny trying to do something different. He's, he was actually trying to celebrate this guy and he responded by literally crushing the outlet secretly where this piece was produced. It's just totally baffling. And maybe someday Peter Thiel will go on the record about why he did this. Um, I'm just not sure. Oh, he has to, uh, to Ryan holiday in a 493 page book (laughs) that somehow. (laughs) So I don't know if you remember that email, Ryan, when I was like, or you could read this book in the next week. Um, yeah, we actually, (laughs) yeah, we actually read that book. Um, huge, 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 huge mistake. (laughs) Um, I mean, Laughable. yeah. Um, we can, and so what was his reasoning? Um, basically that he was, um, I mean, he actually sincerely thought that he was doing a good thing by ridding the world of this cancer. Um, yeah. by, by destroying Gawker, he could save himself and, and his friends from more embarrassment, I guess. Um, yeah. And that, like... The thing that's so short-sighted about the whole thing, I mean, it's so, it's, again, it's like an incredible use of your time and energy to to do something like this. But then to, like, not realize that, like, getting rid of a single publication is not going to, like, change the fact that the, it's like saying, like, oh, I I wish that there wasn't so much, like, uh, appetite for pornography. I'm going to shut down this pornography website. It's like, guess what? (laughs) That's not going to do jack shit. (laughs) Um, I mean, I guess you could argue that, yeah, there are fewer websites like Gawker uh, now, but I think that has a lot more to do with, as you said, Ryan, earlier, like the changing kind of, you know, appetite for it uh, in the public. Like the idea of saying like, oh, I'm going to ruin this this one publication and then all the the bad and, and like, um, you know, um, uh, what's the word? Um when you're whatever, like basically just uh, culture uh, in in this country is going to like evaporate miraculously. It's just so seems very short sighted to me. But yeah, he thought that he was doing something good and that he needed to do this thing. And that it was a challenge to him that, you know, no one had ever no one thought it was possible. Like he he keeps saying over and over again, like he would talk to people and, you know, other victims of Gawker's, uh, you know, uh, journalism. And they would say, oh, yeah, you know, like it's just the way it is. Like we can't change it. Like they're they're protected, blah, blah, blah. It's just the way the media works. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to be the one. It was such a like, you know, hero complex that, that I think he took on um, and got kind of wrapped up in. Are you engaged in any other lawsuits against news organizations? And uh, not, not, not uh, I've, you know, been involved in the Gawker case, nothing else. And, and part of, you know, part of my thought was, again, they were a singularly, they were a singularly uh, um, uh, sociopathic, a bully. Um, it was uh, it, it, my my view is that other journalists, other media organizations, were not remotely in the same ballpark. I think Teal 
through this guy, Ryan Holiday, whose book we read, makes the argument that, you know, people are entitled to privacy and people are entitled to secrets. And, you know, that's a debate for another podcast. You know, when we have more time, we can sort of debate the moral and ethic nature of that. Um, but that, I think, is among the book's arguments that the, the the Hogan lawsuit was a referendum on that idea, you know, that that Hogan and, and Teal were victims. They unknowingly and unwillingly had their privacy compromised. But something I keep thinking about, Ben, is like the nature of hypocrisy and the nature of irony and how it all bears out in this story with Hogan and Teal and Gawker and Donald Trump and Silicon Valley, all of it. And the vicious irony, in my view, is actually that the original sin, that inciting incident, has maybe been sort of misunderstood or maybe incorrectly framed or it's been co-opted. That we think about this story with Hogan, which was literally put on trial for judge and jury as this cautionary tale about privacy, how it's something that we're all entitled to. But the vicious irony, in, in my view is that few people have done more to destroy privacy to erode our personal freedoms than the corporate pirates and captains of industry in Silicon Valley Mm. at at companies (laughs) like Facebook and Mm. PayPal under the stewardship and leadership of Peter Thiel. Like if you think about your personal data, you know, whether it's your name, address, phone number, financial bank account information, those are shopping habits. Yeah, yeah, they're all being packaged and resold by PayPal and Venmo and Instagram and Facebook to third-party apps. And, you know, it brings me back to that original point that, like I was saying, like the original sin, that this story about Gawker and Hogan and Teal and whomever else, you know, that, that it has been framed to us about the loss of privacy, which is a complete lie, and it's a deliberate misrepresentation, in my view, of from corporate media entities with nothing to gain and everything to lose in trying to understand the perspective of Gawker. So whether it's, you know, the New York Times, Fox, NBC, Disney, Viacom, whomever, mainstream media conglomerates have no interest in rattling the cages of their corporate masters they, you know, the hands that feed them, all of these companies partner, they're in bed with fucking Apple, Google, Facebook, Chevron, Amazon, Visa, PayPal, <clears throat> the list goes on and on and on. No one had any interest in talking about the actual function and purpose that the original Valleywag post had in talking about Peter Thiel's politics, right? Mm-hmm. So when, when it's told through this lens of corporate media, Gawker was framed as this bully, But what they were trying to do was shine a light on hypocrisy. You know, look at this fraud, this phony, this guy who does one thing in public with his money and does another thing in the privacy of his bedroom. Publicly, Teal supports politicians and public policy that systemically, you know, harm people in the LGBTQ community while privately he's privileged enough to use his money to buy off his problems and to buy off his critics. Peter Thiel is not a normal person. Billionaires are not like us. Yeah, and it's, it just goes against like the entire law you're taught in, at, um, imagine in law school, though I haven't been, but as a journalist, like he is a public figure. So the, the, there is a different standard of legal newsworthiness mm-hmm. of what you can publish about him. And this is a, a fact that there's a public interest in knowing. And I just, uh, going back to what you were saying earlier or hinting at, is like, the biggest distributor of probably the original Valley Wag post, and, and, and 
definitely the the Hogan sex tape was Facebook or, or at least <laughs> Google. <laughs> and, and like, wow. did did Peter Thiel email anyone on the company he was aboard of saying, "Hey, take yeah. take the Hogan sex tape down"? Did he make any right. like? reforms or push for any reforms at Facebook to stop this kind of thing? Of course not. Because as yeah. you're saying, Facebook benefits from the distribution of this kind of information. Yeah. I mean, Palantir also, we should just note, like, Let's what an incredible company. It is a an American software company that specializes in big data analytics. I'm Meredith, and I'm a deployment strategist at Palantir. During my time as an active duty Air Force officer, I saw firsthand how hard it is to navigate the fog of war. It's a harmless counterterrorism <laughs> tracking software, Ben, okay? Yeah, it's basically just an information gathering tool for the CIA and the American government. Um, and, I mean, I can't imagine uh, how much just destruction and death. Um, but it's cool because the company's name is derived from the uh, Lord of the Rings, where the magical <laughs> Palantiri were seeing stones described as indestructible balls of crystal used for communication and to see events in other parts of the world, uh, also known as spying, spying on people. But privacy is important um, to Peter Thiel. And Hulk Hogan loves privacy. Huge yeah. privacy guy has never <laughs> benefited from invading the privacy of others. Definitely nope. not. <laughs> oh yeah, and if, in case there's any confusion here, this is a company that was founded by Peter Thiel in uh, 2003. Um, so yeah, now worth like I don't even know how many. 1.1 billion dollars was the revenue in 2020 alone. I think we can begin to sort of tie up some closing thoughts. What's it all mean? What did we learn? For me, like one of the big questions to think about, you know, when we when were talking about Peter Thiel, I mean, we should, of course, Ben, talk about Thiel's relationship to Trump, how he helped elect That's the Trump. thing. It all fucking ties together. Good evening. I'm Peter Thiel. I build companies and I support people who are building new things from social networks to rocket ships. I'm not a politician, but neither is Donald Trump. He is a builder, and it's time to rebuild America. Thiel famously, you know, came out in support of Trump in 2016, spoke at the Republican National Convention in 2016, and it all, of course, it was like, of course, yeah, like, that that makes sense, that he was sort of sucked into this world of professional wrestling, which, of course, Donald Trump, uh, you know, began his relationship back in 1988 at... Trump Plaza uh, for WrestleMania 4 and it all just kind of like yeah comes full circle I mean for me when I think about Gawker the thing that I think about is like you know what is the greater threat basically living in a world where bullshit is called out regardless of who you are regardless of what your politics are regardless of how much money you make regardless of everything your sexuality everything if, if there's bullshit it's called out what's the greater threat that uh even when that bullshit is inconvenient for you or living in a world where money basically determines how history is told. And that to me, obviously, is the greater threat that we have, you know, Peter Thiel helped usher in a world vis-a-vis Hulk Hogan where corporate media is such that people are... Basically, people are terrified to tell the truth, right? Like, it, there is a consequence now to telling truth. It is harder and harder to tell the truth because there are so many corporate interests involved with media. 
and that's how I see it. That's my very unprofessional, mm, yep. uh, you know, you know. I, I don't think we want to live in a world where Ted DiBiase can buy the heavyweight championship belt. <laughs> we, we also don't want to live in a world where Peter Thiel can buy the bankruptcy of Gawker um, yeah. over, yeah. again, factual legal information that was published. <laughs> and um, how Trump fits into all this, I mean... Does Trump even know who Peter Thiel is? Like, have they ever <laughs> talked? I wonder, like... I'm sure he had to, like, invite him to the to the Oval Office for some, you know, after Peter Thiel donated how many millions right, of dollars right, to, to his campaign right. and spoke at yeah. the convention. President Trump just tweeting, billionaire tech investor Peter Thiel believes Google should be investigated for treason. He accuses Google of working with the Chinese government. A great guy, uh, a great and brilliant guy who knows this subject better than anyone in the Trump administration... This is the question. Uh, the sentence that sort of we'll got take my a attention. Look. The Trump administration will take a look now. I'm sure at some point he had to humor him with a fucking luncheon, you know. Uh, but oh, sp- I can't I imagine. Mean, he spoke at the RNC, right? I have to believe that, like, yeah, have a coffee. But I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Know, I don't know exactly how how well Trump, uh, you know, executed the the uh, the policy goals that Teal was hoping to advance by supporting him. Well, what do we think Peter Teal thinks about wrestling? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> it's a very very good question. Or if he even has any knowledge of what Hulk Hogan was about. Probably, probably. If I had to guess, has never watched a single match. Um, I feel like that would be. I think he would be like confused and a little upset by it. You know, guys, one thing that I didn't get to say earlier, but I I was thinking it in rewatching WrestleMania four, I have to say, I texted this at one point, I think in the middle of the night to Ben Ryan, but like the expression on, on a young Donald Trump's face at that event, he really (laughs) looked genuinely happy. Mm. And I have to say, like, I, I have to say like, you know, over the last five, six years, the Donald Trump that I have come to know on television and seeing clips of him on the internet, he always seems obviously incredibly agitated and upset, right? Like he he got into politics because he was this like aggrieved man, right? Mm-hmm. And it is just a stark difference, you know, like it just like very surface level, obviously, but he really looked so incredibly happy. He looked engaged too. He looked like really engaged in it. it. It does seem like that was maybe one of the happier moments of his life. Like that is really <laughs> what he wanted, right? Like that is really what he wanted. He just wanted to be beloved by the ring, have the championship presented to him on a like a red velvet pillow by Robin Leach. And yeah, to be hosting this event with I mean basically it, even uh, though it wasn't at his casino. <laughs> I mean, everyone had to basically come out and give him a kiss as they as they entered the ring, like Bob yes, Uecker and Vanna, Vanna White. White. Yeah, Vanna White had to come over and give him a little hug and a kiss. So, like, how could you not be happy? Like, he the whole thing was basically uh, created as a celebration of him. Um, which you know, if I had uh, had the money to to make a wrestling event uh, with me as the host, like that would be a childhood dream. Uh, like, I uh, you know, doesn't surprise me at all that that he uh, he'd be on cloud nine. In that situation, but um, but so I, I'm curious. Like, um, it's it's kind of miraculous to me. Like, we should note that Gawker's coming back. Um, that you know, yeah. Teal's Teal's great victory in 2016. Um, you know, which at the time seemed absolutely resounding and conclusive. Um, lasted less than a decade. Um, and yeah, Gawker's returning. Um. And uh, of course, Hulk Hogan is 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 back working in the WWF uh, as well. 
um, f- even even following the uh, you know revelation of the, the disgusting racist uh, remarks that he made um, in the in the bedroom on the tape. Um, you know he was fired from WWF uh, in 2015 after that came out. But within a couple short years, he was back doing work. Um, and as recently as uh, this past April for WrestleMania 37, 37, if that doesn't uh, make you feel a little old there, Ryan. <laughs> um, yeah, Hogan was, was co-hosting, co-hosting the event with um, a black wrestler named Titus O'Neil, uh, who at the time of the uh, revelation of those racist remarks came out and was one of the most outspoken critics of Hogan. Um, not only of the remarks, but also of his very, very half-hearted apology for them. Um, and yet, you know, a few years later, uh, under sort of Vince McMahon's, you know, direction, he's out there, um, co-hosting the event, which took place in, uh, in their, their hometown of Tampa, Florida, both, uh, Titus and, and Hogan are, you know, Tampa natives. Um, although I think Hogan was actually born in Georgia, but, you know, sort of Tampa claims Tampa as like his you know, the place where he was raised and came up. Anyway, all very, yeah, just kind of weird to me that, um, I mean, I guess, you know, everyone deserves a second chance in America, yada, yada. But after, like, what looked like the end of his career, like, you know, he's back out there playing to the crowd, revving everybody up for the... uh, the first WrestleMania with with live fans uh, since the pandemic. So Yeah, I'm I'm curious here in conclusion, Ryan, Ben, if like Hulk Hogan... You, you know, so Hulk Hogan was effectively used as an instrument here by Peter Thiel to um, undermine a media company to sort of quell uh, free speech. Um, does that check out? Like, does that like does that add up? Does that make sense? I know it's like yeah. very convoluted and strange, but like it does. Doesn't it sort of like it kind of fits it seems the era. consistent? It seems yeah. consistent with the guy that we met in WrestleMania four, like in the eighties, right? Like sliding under the rope with a chair, hitting someone in the back, stealing mm-hmm. the limelight from, from Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. Um, it adds up to me. I don't know. Yeah. And like the, the broader arc of his career is right. As we talked about earlier, he was a heel. He was like a guy who worked out a lot. Then he was a heel. And when he went into professional wrestling, then he was a good guy and at, at sort of proxy for the ascendant Americanism of the eighties. And then he Reagan. was kind of a, yeah. Then he was kind of a sort of a, a mixed figure who was cheating. And then he had like a few more title runs in the WWF. And then he was kind of like a heel slash dirtbag for the, until the Gawker incident. And now he's a pawn in a tech billionaire's political assault on uh, free and factual journalism. And now an announcer, as Ben said, and to me, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, and now pawn of Vince McMahon's to uh, rev up the crowd at WrestleMania 37. To me, like at his most base level, he's an opportunist. He's just kind of mm-hmm. like, how can I stay relevant here? Like, how can I kind of keep the gravy train moving? Mm. And and that's probably why he got into the sex game business to begin with. I mean, again, I don't know factually whether or not he meant to do that or not, but I would not be surprised, right? He seems to like. Like a lot of celebrities, he seems to reinvent himself for the era. And it's just kind of sad. Uh, again, maybe it's because I, I grew up at a time when he was at his ascendant peak and his mm-hmm. m- less morally complicated version of himself. But it's just like, I don't know. The whole thing is just like dirty and like, yeah, ah, it's just weird. Then uh, a, a part of uh, a part of the book that made me smile and kind of laugh to Ryan's point right there. There's this moment 
as Hogan is walking in the bedroom with his friend's wife. And again, his fr- his best friend, Bubba Clem, is like, you know, do it. The, gives him his blessing. Hogan says to him, you're not taping this, right? <laughs> and I, it made me laugh, Ben. I, I don't know if you had the same reaction because I was like, this guy definitely knows he's being filmed. Come on. Yeah. Like, he knows what this is. Yeah. I if, mean, you, like, if you ask that question, maybe he like, did, maybe he didn't. Maybe, it's just sort of funny. Yeah. If you think there's a 50-50 chance that your best friend would make a sex tape of you so he could eventually retire, you know, like, pay for his, like, <laughs> retirement, like, which which uh, Bubba Clem is quoted as, he and his wife literally are quoted as saying like they did this so they would eventually be able to retire one day you know if that's in the back of your head you sort of whatever i mean it's it's shitty what happened but like also i do sort of wonder if he kind of assumed and knew that this would in all likelihood happen so (sighs) yeah it's so sad it's so sad it's all very messy and sad. Um, and I keep thinking about the, so the article that was written, you know, with the, with the, the publication of the tape on Gawker was hilarious. It was talking about like how Hogan like paused and like looked at the, the curtains of like the canopy bed at one point and was like right. trying to get in his head about like thinking about like, oh, maybe I'll redecorate my room like this at some point. Like it was very <laughs> like kind of, you know, like surreal and, and kind of tongue in cheek, like, you know, which I think is... I don't know, you know, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know exactly, like, what that means, but it's just, it does make the whole thing just feel like a weird fever dream, and, yeah, just incredibly messy, and the way that, that things get so much more complicated, the more you age, uh, you know, from our, our little childhood uh, TV sets, you know, watching I mean, our heroes I never, I never, uh, confession, guys, I never watched the Hogan uh, sex tape, but, like, just even hearing that he talked about the curtains... It I don't know if he. Of... I don't think he talked about them, but at one point it was the it was the po- the the writer was who mentioned. was like kind of opining like it's as if he yeah. like stepped back at some point and was looking at them. I don't know, but uh, it was yeah. But yeah like the, so, the, the post itself was like very kind of funny and the yeah. fact that he even did that that seems like something that he would do during a promo, right? Like that, <laughs> and and it kind of all just feels like this one big staged performed event for the camera right right ryan we've taken up way too much of your time is there anything <laughs> thank you guys you no, that's good want to plug no, or man. promote where can people find you on the internet on twitter whatever it is what, what anything you're working on that you want to plug i'm on twitter um find me i'm i'm on the internet generally um but yeah i don't, I don't need to plug anything well this was super fun we really appreciate it we'll have you back for the uh randy savage deep dive whenever oh, that god happens. willing yeah that'd be amazing uh, although i'm a little concerned that could be like a 10-parter um that will be the 10-parter so yeah you'll have to book out some time we'll, I'm ready. we'll let you know yeah we'll set some we'll set a couple of weeks aside for that one and uh yeah man this is a lot of fun we appreciate you taking the time to uh chat with us yeah this was awesome Thanks. thank this you so awesome. much ryan all right Cheers, we'll talk to you soon you've been listening to switch, switch. 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 switch.